What's up, everybody? My name is Asi Tajay. And Shaka Bimbo, Shot B94 on Twitter. Okay, follow <laughs> your mans. And welcome back to the Real Film Pod, a moving picture podcast where we break down everything that's going on in the movie and TV industry. Thank you for joining us today. But before we dive into our topics, we want to remind you, if you haven't done so already, make sure you follow us on all the socials at The Real Film Pod on Instagram, Twitter, like our Facebook page at The Real Film Pod, and make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel, The Rise Network, where we'll give you other content that's just as engaging as The Real Film Pod, ranging from podcasts, commercials, TV series, and short films. Make sure you're subscribed because we've got more content coming in 2020 and 2021. You ready? Let's do it. All righty. Like we said, we got a lot of stuff we're going to be covering today. But first off, we got to shout out Jonathan Majors. So in the What's Hot category, Jonathan Majors has joined the MCU universe at, in Ant-Man 3 as Kong the Conqueror. So if any, if any of you uh, know who John Major, Jonathan Majors is, he's also starring right now as Atticus in Lovecraft Country, which is executive produced by J.J. Abrams, uh, Misha Green, and Jordan Peele. He's also starred in The Last Black Man in San Francisco, The, the Five Bloods, with uh, countless other actors, uh, specifically Chadwick Boseman, and that was directed and written by Spike Lee. It's going to be very interesting to see him playing in the role. First off, people were saying um, he don't need to do training because this man is already fit. Straight up, love, <laughs> <laughs> Lovecraft Country, I kid you not, he never has on like a full shirt. It's always a take. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it's always a take top but um congratulations are in order to him i'm excited to see it um i don't know too much about king the conqueror i haven't and Man was never really the comic book series that i like read often it was always the other stuff so i was yeah. like it was the spider-man it was the green lantern it was the x-men so i don't really know too much about the characters in ant-man so i, I gotta look at the for you oh what's the background en- enlighten us yeah, so Kang, born a Dane Richards, grew up to become a prominent villain in Marvel Comics, who traversed and, as his name suggests, conquered multiple timelines. The character feels like a natural fit for Ant-Man since Paul Rudd's Scott Lane introduced the concept of time travel via, quantum, via the quantum realm and Avengers Endgame. So I, I like the fact that they included how, like, you know what I'm saying? It's like continuing on what the knowledge of the universe is. So like, mm-hmm. people that are fans of the series, it's not like mm-hmm. a crazy leap. Uh, mm-hmm. But no, I mean, I think I think it'll be a nice addition to the show, especially you know some diversity. Uh, <laughs> are you a fan of Ant Man? The first two. When I I have definitely seen the first two. For me, it's just kind of like really hard to get into uh, the blend of superhero films with heavy comedy and like so. Guardians of the Galaxy is like that, and then Ant Man's really like that. Um, mm-hmm. I do enjoy both of them. I enjoy mainly the supporting actors in Ant-Man. You don't like Paul so, Rudd? <laughs> what? Pa- Paul, Rudd is good. Paul Rudd is good, and he's a Kansas City native. Shout out to him. Uh, he went to Shawnee Mission West. Okay. <laughs> yeah, be coming back every year for little coat drives and stuff like that, or the major, what was it, like, casino games that take place. But no, there's no disrespect to Paul Rudd. I like Paul Rudd. He's always playing in those rom-coms. Yeah, he's, he's, he's pretty cool. Like My thing head. is, the supporting actors definitely give the comedic relief in the show so michael uh piana and then yeah ti occasionally was <laughs> when he was in there but my like the supporting actor is what really makes the comedic tone uh good for me it doesn't feel forced it feels very natural i actually need to go back and watch it because the first ant-man came out in 2015 that's like five years ago so it's like yeah 
it was very hard to remember. And then the second one came out, I think, like, what was it, two years after that? came out 2018. So Ant-Man and Wasp. So it's been mm-hmm. a while since I've, like, actually really seen it. And then, so now here's the third installment. Because at least when the Thor stuff was coming out, it was, like, coming out, like, every year or every two years between each other. Or, like, when the Avengers stuff was coming out, there, were, there was something always in between. So it's, like, a really a huge gap, I guess, necessarily for me to really uh, remember this stuff is going into it, but I do remember the supporting cast was very like they were the com- comedic relief. And like I said, I'm not really the one one of those who likes my comedy and superhero films heavily saturated in it. So when it's just like a natural, like you know, mm-hmm. out there joke or whatever, then I'm like more into it. And I will say I'm more attracted to this than Guardians of the Galaxy because it feels more natural mm-hmm. in the comedic tone. <laughs> no, it does feel more natural because. I mean, first of all, we already associate Paul Rudd's character or him personally on his characters with a certain brand of comedy. So mm-hmm. I always feel like every time he does another, another movie, it's like adding a layer onto like this character who acts in movies, you know? Mm-hmm. So I definitely mm-hmm. hear you on that. But I do think your criticism of Guardian of the Galaxy is kind of almost like you just don't like that movie. Like you have an out for that. <laughs> it's not that I have an out for it. It's just I personally feel like I think it was maybe how many Guardians of the Galaxy of the, is there? It's like three, right? Something like that. It's like three. So the very last one, whatever, in the installment, that was the one I actually enjoyed the most, and the most because the comedic was not, the comedy was natural. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, it's like really slapstick jokes and all that, you know. I mean, some especially with like the let's see, like a raccoon. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I like yeah. I like Chris Pratt though. Ever since the um, this, what was the show? Parks and Rec. Yeah. Yeah, bro, his rise to stardom is crazy. Like he's the man now. Yeah, he was just, like, had a small role in that, to, like, being the main protagonist in the MCU universe for hey, that uh, particular comic. Before we move on, I definitely wanted to touch on this point uh, on some business stuff. I guess this uh, role for Kane the Conqueror was made available, made possible, because if you remember back, um, Disney purchased 21st Century Fox, right? Mm-hmm. So that allowed them to do more, like, X-Men stuff and just other things. I think there's something that's going to happen maybe with Deadpool or something. I don't know. I know that we might be on the lookout for more uh, Marvel Marvel things being released through Disney. So I'm waiting for them to acquire uh, uh, Fantastic. Fantastic Four. Well, they, that's been butchered so many times. So many times. I'm waiting for them to acquire it and give us that solid, that solid one. <laughs> we did <laughs> And for, first off, I want to make a notation that literally Chris Evans has played in almost every Marvel movie dang near. He played in the Fantastic Four as Torch. I'm pretty sure, yeah. <laughs> and then he played in um, Wolverine as the first kind of like image you get of Dead, uh, Deadpool, I guess, when they like had yeah. him fight Wolverine. And then he got his uh, uh, Deadpool movie. So man, man has been trying to Deadpool? maintain a career. Yeah, he's Deadpool. No, he's not. That's Ryan Reynolds. Oh, I mean Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> yeah, I'm so confused right now. <laughs> Bro, Ryan Reynolds? Chris Evans played in uh, Fantastic Four as Torch. Okay, yeah, he's Captain America, yeah. yeah. No, Ryan Reynolds, Ryan Reynolds' Green Torch is crazy. That's so yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah, so this is going to be very, very interesting. Is your phone ringing? Yeah, I'm about to stop. Hold on. You have like a, <laughs> he has a landline? <laughs> it was free! <laughs> What? <laughs> well, yeah, uh, no, Chris Evans played Torch, and then Ryan Reynolds was also in the um, Wolverine. So, 
But yeah, I mean, I feel like they could do it again. You know, you know, some actors have stopped in the MCU universe because of you know in that storyline. So maybe they could repose some actor to you know be in for Justice Four. We'll you see. Never know. We'll see. We'll never know. But moving along, some other exciting new, you know, uh, news is Caleb McLaughlin. McLaughlin? Yes, Caleb McLaughlin stars in Concrete Cowboy oh. with Idris Elba, and he's already being declared by the, by some people as the new Denzel. Do you think that's like a reach, or do you think that's like a like a definite possibility? Uh, well, I think I get I get what the director is coming from. So basically, when I read the article, he was just talking about how well a before we get into like the talent, this the commitment to the film. I guess they would be filming scenes from like sun up all the way through the night, and there's been times when like like. Caleb has the most energy on set. Like, he had a story about him like being excited that the sun was coming up. Everybody else is like dead tired. So, I mean, that's cool. He's super committed to his role. But I guess he's I'm also like, younger. Yeah, he's also no. younger. <laughs> and, and this he's is an actor. Like, what if you're like the, the camera operator? You're like, dude, I want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's younger, and it's also like, is this like one of his like major film debuts? This is feature film debut, right? At least yeah, as a starring role. Yes, I think it is. So it's just kind of like, of course I'd be excited. Like, we're almost there. We're hungry. Yeah, he's lit. But, I guess on my acting tip, there's like a lot of emotional scenes. And he's the lead actor in this film. I don't know we'll get more into it. But like, where he carries a lot of the emotional weight of the scene. And I guess he's somebody he did a great job. All that being said, Idris Elba made a comment to say, let's slow down here. It's not, <laughs> it's not put this pressure on him. He's like, he's a good actor. but So let's not go too far. But I am excited to see like how his career progresses. He's like, what? Like, 19, 20. He's really young. He's just turned 19. And I think even um, Jarell Jerome had even made a commentary about like he's like a young, promising actor and he's an inspiration to us. And I was like, Jarell Jerome, he gasses. He's definitely like, he's a great actor himself, but he's definitely the type of person you meet and you're friends with that just be like in the moment and he'd be like, yeah, bro, that's one of the greatest things of all time. But everything's the greatest thing of all time for him. I don't know. I mean, okay. he he could be gassing a lot of stuff, maybe, but he also just could be. He really might think that of Caleb, Caleb McLaughlin. So Andrew Jerome was also guy. in the film, so that could also be a reason why. That's I guess, but I'm I don't excited, know. I'm excited. I'm excited too. I think it's gonna be very interesting and. I love seeing the dynamics between a father and a son, and specific, specifically with like black fathers and black sons, because you don't see that too often. And within this like realm of or this world, like cowboys or being in the West. So you want to give them a background on what it actually? Yeah. So the film is about a fifteen-year-old boy from Detroit who is sent to live with his estranged father in Philadelphia and learn about the local urban cowboys. Mm-hmm. So. Idris Elba plays his father, like I said, and he plays the young boy who is sent to go live with his dad. So, I don't know. I just feel like it's going to be one of those, like, coming of age. It's definitely be a coming of age story. And it'll also be one of those stories where it's just kind of like we're seeing if they can. I really hope that we can see the truest depiction of, like, the severity of the detachment between, like, this father and son, this black father and son, and having how they're working to be reconciled with one another. Because, like, I feel like in most films, like, we don't really get that representation of black fathers trying to be present in their, like, kids' lives. Yeah. So, like, we get that strange thing all the time without reconciliation. So it's just, it's going to be interesting to see, and I'm hoping for the best with this film. Um, it was just in the TIFF 2020 uh, Film Festival. So... Mm-hmm. Um, I think it had its run, and a lot of people, 
uh, a lot of people were talking about how like it was one of them like a lower budget films but it's like really great you know like what moonlight did it was a lower budget film but like you wouldn't even have thought that when you watched the film like the story was super intriguing the set the characters yeah. and the costumes and all of that so no, when i watched like a little like snippet or whatever it definitely had one of those like indie film vibes where it's like really emotional and like it's really mm-hmm. character driven so like i do think with your your hope about it really you know doing, being an accurate depiction i think it's going to come true also idris elba caleb like you're some really good actors so i feel like they're really going to be able to pull that through and then the mm-hmm. whole like subject matter of like the whole cowboy element is something rooted in reality so i watched mm-hmm. like a youtube thing about uh this area in philadelphia where they have like a stable uh, it's like an urban it's an urban stable and a lot of the kids like use it as an outlet to like basically like as a distraction from the streets and like i know like one of the kids was riding it was talking about how like he's on that horse and he's riding down the street like all of, like the violence and all the bad stuff it's like he gets to escape from it so i do mm-hmm. think that this will be a film that really like will use this this uh what, activity to show like how it's a bonding tool you know what i mean so i think it'll go really into that and they have a lot of stuff in real life to pull from so it seems like it might be super solid yeah well i mean a little bit more of like uh so what i read a little bit more about the summary of it is like so cole facing expulsion from the school in detroit uh not for the first time um is sent by his infuriated mother played by liz presley to stay for the summer with Harp, um played by idris elba the ex-con father uh, he hardly knows. Harv has his own issues with the ways in which he failed his wife and son and his ramshackle house complete with unfriendly horse in the living room. Doesn't exactly premise the nurturing environment. Cole gets more warmth from his father's neighbor, Nessie, played by Lorraine Toussaint, who, like Harp, is a Stetson-wearing fixture at Fletcher Street. So that's a little bit more of a bio. From my understanding, um, I think they were looking into releasing it on a streaming platform, but they weren't definitive on which streaming platform they were going to release the movie, because I don't think it's going to get its, like, full theater run, so. Yeah, yeah. I think it's about to be one of those indie films that, like, <laughs> will be, maybe, maybe we filmed at the Moxie or something like that, uh, shown at the Moxie, but that's probably, like, not it. Shout out to Springfield. <laughs> yeah, but Moving along, like I said, we're looking forward to, I'm definitely looking forward to Caleb's career and his growth. He's so young and he has so much that he can give us, just like Jarrell Jerome, so young and like they have nothing but opportunity to give us like a diversity of roles. So um, it's going to be very interesting to see um, him growing over the years, especially from like that one little goofy kid, smart, smart mouth. From Stranger Stranger Things. Bro, so. I never got into Stranger Things. I, don't I enjoy Stranger Things. You should definitely watch it. You should definitely watch it. Yeah, for sure. But for moving sure. along <laughs> to Netflix. Netflix is once again in a little bit of a controversy, specifically for its film, Cuties. Um, the criticism is basically it is an exploitation and one of the a vile depiction of children and sexualizing young girls. Um, it's even on the point to where like people have established uh petitions people are protesting it and conservative uh a politician ted cruz is advocating against the film so if you don't know what the film is about cuties is let me give you a little spiel but cuties is a foreign film <clears throat> is a french film 
and it follows an 11-year-old immigrant girl from Senegal who lives with her mother, Miriam, and two younger brothers in an apartment, and she's kind of thrust into a new environment, and she goes to a different school, and she realizes she's not a part of, you know, the clique of people, or she's not really connected to people, but things start to fascinate Amy, uh, Amy and her disobedient neighbor, Angelica, when they realize there's a twerking clique called Cuties, um, an adult-style dance troupe, which in stark contrast to Miriam's religious customs, values, and traditions. So it's like also a coming-age story, but it's more so focused on this very, this immigrant girl who, from Senegal, who lived in a very conservative and religious environment, being exposed to a new world, which is like sexual freedom, I guess. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's such a, like a really heavy thing to put on these, uh, like characters, like these, first off, these actresses in these Uh, characters, they're 11 in this, in this, and they're 11 in real life. And so it's a French film. And then I guess it had its run in Sundance for a little bit um, in 2020. And then Netflix had bought the rights to it and had uh, acquired the rights to have it streamed on their platform. That's a lot. That's yeah. a lot. Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, it's one of those things where I was reading some of the reviews and it's like, in its attempt to like condemn something like that, there people are arguing that it's actually like perpetuating it or like, you know, advancing it. So I think yeah. that's like the biggest thing is like, how do you walk that line between trying to show something and then just like pushing it forward or like, you know, encouraging it or giving people outlet to see that, you know? So mm-hmm. have you seen the film? Um, no, I refuse. I'm good. I'm good on that. I'm good on that. I don't know uh, what it, I don't know what's up with society trying to sexualize young kids and put them in almost pedophilic, you know, environments. It's fucking weird. I'm not for it. I'm not. Uh, I mean, have you seen what the, the director said about it? No, I'm good. <laughs> okay, so I, I'll go into a little bit of it. Let's, let me pull up her name really quick. So I can... Oh. Did I just add this? So... Alright, so it's written and directed by... Dude, alright, I'm going to butcher this. Uh, Mamuna do... Alright, well, the Corey? She's a... um. She is, uh, I want to say, a Senegalian woman living in France. And it's kind of like, I'm not going to say it's like based on her life, but it's based on some of her experiences of being in a traditional family and then that, like, wanting to shut out the Western world. But it's also showing, like, the stuff that's going down in those neighborhoods, right? So when it was shown uh, to a foreign audience in France, um, it didn't have any of this criticism that it has here. Even when it was shown in Sundance to an American audience, the criticism wasn't there. According to her and a lot of the next Netflix reps, not really reps, but her reps are saying that this criticism started with the poster, right? So if you look at the poster side by side, the one in France just has like the kids like running down the street. The one in America has like this sexualized image of the kids like on the stage, like dancing and stuff. So ever since that point, she argues that people have been had it out for the movie and it's become extremely politicized, right? Where people like Vox and like, you know, more progressive outlets are arguing that the people that are criticizing the movie have not seen the movie. So it's like a lot of like just blind criticism based on what they perceive to be in the movie. But is that scene not in the movie though? Are they not dancing like that in the movie? They are. I've seen that clip from the movie for sure. No, for sure, for sure. I don't know. I just feel like it's one of these movies, bro, where it's like, it's hard to say 
without actually watching it. But I get why people don't want to watch it because it's almost like you're pushing that forward. But it's hard to like. I don't want to be like hypercritical of the other the director. But I do feel like she's getting the short end of the stick because it's like representatives from like like Josh Holly from Missouri, right? Or people like Tosi Gabbard in Hawaii. They're using it as political tools in their campaign. And the major force that basically brought all this criticism to the to the light is QAnon, which is like the far right wing. Uh, like a conspiracy theorist organization, right? And so at times it does feel like they're just trying to like shit on this woman's movie. Like it's because I feel like some of it's because she's like a black woman and it's like one of these things where they use it to like come at the left, right? So it's become super political. And I just feel like um, at this point, I don't even know if all the criticism is even like valid. Cause I went on Fox. Are you gonna watch like, the movie? I might actually watch it. Cause I went on Fox and looked at the review and they were saying all the things that we've been saying, right? That went on Vox, and it's the complete opposite. It's hard to find, like, a, a, a rational review of the movie. So at this point, I don't even know, like, whose opinion it takes, you know, as a word. So I don't know. At least kind of messed up. I think initially, I think I think the controversy was just the advertisement. It wasn't the film yeah. at first. So when I remember when people first heard about the movie being released, released on Netflix, I remember the, the controversy was around the advertisement. The ad was just grossly disgusting. Like, yeah. who, who does that? Like, what? On a poster of 11-year-old girls? Like, why? And that's where the main criticism came from. And so then people are, people, I mean, of course, the ad was like that. And then the continuous, you know, promo that Netflix did for us was always pulling from the scenes where they're dancing very grown in the film so it wasn't netflix knew what they were doing i feel like i think netflix knows what they're doing and i think it's a way for them to get uh viewership for the movie that's exactly what it is uh i just pulled the vox thing so like one of the major one of the main vox uh writers wrote much much of the criticism against cutie spawned from inaccurate or incomplete characterizations of the film and the result the resulting narrative was that netflix had produced a film aimed at enticing pedophilia it goes on to talk about how the trailer in America is also different, where it leads you to believe one thing, and it shows a lot of the like ex- explicit scenes, I guess, like, yes. stacked side by side by side to lead you to believe like this is what this film is about. And then they're mm-hmm. arguing that that's like a part of the film, but most of it is about this girl's struggle, like, and it's trying to depict how like her mom and like this like uh, religious uh, environment she's in wants to control her body and that how like the western society also wants to control her body but there's no space for her to decide what she what wants she to do with it and so but then if you go on like to the uh national reporter or fox they're saying look see they, they won't uh, engage what the movie's actually about because of the same talking points blah 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 doesn't take a rocket scientist to see what this is what this is trying to do is soft core important Soft core pornography, all this other stuff. It's Child like, pornography, <laughs> that's what they're saying, yes. But like, they were like know. saying there's like, you know, like uh, all these explicit things happening in it. And then they're arguing back. So it's like a huge, like, he said, she said thing. And I don't know if any of the sides are really watching the movie. Interesting. Well, I don't know. I really have to de- debate whether or not I want to see that movie. Like, for me, like, I will say Western culture. Western culture has a weird fixation on sexualizing young girls, specifically mm-hmm. black girls at early ages. Mm-hmm. And so for me to see the poster, so like the ads and the trailers and the American versions of it, it literally just brought me back to that mindset of like Western culture, like American society mainly just loves sexualizing young girls. Think about it from uh, 
think about it in movies what was that movie where where the it was like a young girl and a boy who were stuck on the island and it was it was like a an old film that came out in the 70s right mm-hmm. uh, so, <laughs> I don't know, man. Oh my god, man! Oh my god! But no, I think the Netflix's handling of it is just really sad, bro. That's why. That's I guess that's why I'm at. I just feel bad for the director because I feel like when you see who actually makes it, makes it, you you kind of have more of a like, dang, I kind of want to give her a shot because of who she is. You know what I'm saying? I know she mm-hmm. sold the film to Netflix, and she is in control, like their marketing of it. Almost like Netflix is just like pretty nasty for how they handled this whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's an actress. Like she's a notable uh Brooke Shields. Okay. So Brooke Shields played in a movie like I think her starting movie was Blue Lagoon. Mm-hmm. If you look at the way that they kind of exploited Brooke Shields. Brooke Shields I think was only 13 years old or 12 years old when the movie came out. They had her like Completely naked in movie. They the adver- the ads that we have her do even after the film had came in came out. Actually, they're supposed to play seven year olds in this, so they're playing seven year olds and like they had both these characters just completely naked. They had them um, engaged in like really like sexual type of things in the film, and then after Brookfields had done the film. Because uh, this film came out in the 80s. After Brooke Phillips had done this uh, movie, mind you, she's like probably 12 or 13 at this time. She's no more than 15 years old. If you look at the way they kind of do publicity runs for Brooke Fields, she was always naked. She was always uh, like being exploited like sexually when it came to mm-hmm. print media and for films. Like it was very disgusting. And I feel like American TV... And film industry does that a lot with kids. They do that a lot of kids with 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 young girls too. They do that a lot in the film and TV industry. And like a prime example of that would be Brooke Fields. So it could just be an American thing that's that could be the cause of the controversy. (laughs) Or book my no Brooke Fields. It's not Brooke Fields. You talking Brooke Shields? I might have. Oh, Brooke Shields. Shields. Brooke Shields. My bad. (laughs) But Brooke Shields, like. Look at the way that they had done Brooke Shields when she first came out as a young actor. It was her fa- first off, her mother and the industry was exploiting her at an early age. And so yeah. Hollywood has a history of doing that with with adolescent girls, like very young girls. It's just, and then Not just Hollywood, more, the record industry, all of it, bro. All it's of all them. in that entertainment. Think about Britney, Britney Spears, like Britney Spears was probably 15 or 14 at the time. And they had a whole like cover, have a cover of her in a magazine with like underwear on. Aaliyah. Like, I think about Aaliyah being exploited <laughs> so in the industry. Bad, like, like there's hot, like American industry, entertainment industry has a history of exploiting children within the pedophile, like within pedophilia pretty much, exploiting children uh, sexually. Even boys and girls, like there are actors who were child actors in the 80s and 70s and they came out later on saying like, I was being sexually abused by these industry professionals. I was being abused by these owners of studios and people knew about it and did nothing. So I think the criticism, I think we're living in a day and age now where people like us, we're looking at stuff like that. We're like, I'm not okay with that. Like y'all might've been okay with that like 10, 20 years ago, but I'm not okay with looking at stuff like that because the criticism I mainly saw for the app was from people our age, around our age. So, 
don't know. I think I, it's, a, it's, a, it's split, bro. It's split. I think the other thing, too, is the whole, the whole, like, idea of, because I know the director said that it's supposed to be uncomfortable, right? So it's the whole idea of, like, people are feeling uncomfortable with it, but I think that's kind of what they intended. I just feel like there's, like, a line, though, right? And so, obviously, we haven't seen the film. So, but what I've read, it hasn't, like, it doesn't cross over into, like, actual nudity and stuff like that. It's just, like, how you Explicit suggest... behaviors yeah, and, yeah. like, like very advanced um, dialogue and So, I think, the, I think the thing is, like, people have to see if, like, the film is glorifying that or if it's, like, putting you in a tricky spot to where you're, like... I don't know if I should be it. watching this. It's like when people, like, when, like, school shooters happen, right? People always want to say, like don't show the images of the kids who have been shot and stuff like that because it's like triggering and it's all sorts of stuff. But I've always been a proponent of like, nah, show that because that, not, I'm not saying like, go, oh, here's the picture of this. But I'm saying is I don't think that people should be scared of showing images and stuff like that because what it does is it does not allow you to run from it. It's not allow you to say, oh, you're politicizing issue on guns. And when you actually see the images, it's kind of like in Vietnam, when they show those images like the burning woman, it's like that sparked a huge change in public opinion of what was going on. You know what I'm saying? So it's like a fine line of what's too much, what's too little. It's like the guy falling down from the skyscraper in 9-11. Like, all these things, images, it's like, it's tough to say, bro. It's a gray area of, like, what helps push the the, 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 the right agenda forward and what is just, like, doing too much. But I think it's, I don't know. Yeah. Well, we're going to move along because we'll be talking about this all day. But moving along with uh, what else is going on with talk category, we have Jay Fisher, who plays Cyborg and the Justice League universe. DC Universe and the Justice League films has recently called out a director for gross and unprofessional behavior on the set of Justice League. Specifically, actor Ray Fisher has accused director Joss Whedon of uh, unprofessional and gross negligence at times. Specifically, he made a tweet recently, July 1st of 2020, noting that Joss Whedon on set of uh, Josh Whedon's onset treatment of cast and crew of Justice League was gross, abusive, unprofessional, and completely unacceptable. He was enabled in many ways by Geoff Johns and John Burke. Accountability over entertainment. And so a lot of he's getting a little bit of a backfire from specifically the studio, in which, you know, we're getting this film. And he's of course getting uh negative feedback from Josh Whedon. Um Yeah. I mean you see what they it's, said. It's, <laughs> No, said align us. Align us what he said. So the like response. they they were basically saying that uh well they well first thing they did was just like super like all right now I can't trust the studio at all. So the first thing they tried to do was bring up the fact that he was difficult. They tried to point the finger back at him. One of the instances they said was the character cyborg in like the TV show, you know, says like booyah is like one of his catchphrases. I know you remember that. He said he refused to say it on set and how that was like a big issue. I'm like, all right, I'm not saying that that wasn't a thing, but you're not going to try to use that as like a no a so response for being unprofessional and abusive to your cast. And then uh, I guess they reached out to him, right? Try to solve the issue, like not in the media, you know? And this is where like the whole, I don't know. But I guess he's being difficult. He's refusing to like meet with them. He's refusing to talk to like the higher ups and he's refusing to participate in their internal investigation. That came out, and then he responded with the, uh, they called me with some investigator that was hired by the company to, like, wipe it under the rug. Like, and so his point is that you can't have an investigation people hired by the company. It has to be, like, a third party. So there's mm-hmm. a lot of, like, truth to what he's saying. And so it's hard for me to, like, to take the studio side. Like, they're doing all, like, the tricks in the uh, switch, flip the scratch handbook. They're just following step one, step two, step three. 
I know that was the answer. Yeah, because if you look at, like, he also made another tweet afterwards where it's like an old video of him at Comic Con and the Justice League <laughs> no, cast, <laughs> where he's like, uh, Zack Snyder, they pick a good people to come up and clean up after him. I'm just like, yeah. And then, but Jason Momoa is like, like straight face the whole time. Like it's no, it's clearly a lie was told. So Jason Momoa has recently come out and stand in support of Jay Fisher, mm-hmm. um, Ray, Ray Fisher. I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but uh, came out in support of him in his statements against Whedon and the studio. And the studio specifically, this is what Jason Momoa has said: This has to stop. It needs to be looked at. Uh, and everyone else who experienced what happened under the watch of Warner Brother Pictures needs to uh, proper investigate it. I just think it's effed up that people release a fake frosty announcement without my permission to try to distract from Ray Fisher speaking up about yeah. the horrible way we were treated on Justice League reshoots. Serious stuff went down. It needs to be investigated, and people need to be held accountable. I stand with Ray Fisher. Alone. See, that was step three in the handbook. See, look, they saw the controversy come up. They're like, all right, you know what? We're going to release some news about the uh, about the upcoming shows or whatever, trying to distract. Bro, they're following every step of someone who's guilty. You know what I mean? And then, yeah. you see, like, before all this happened, before Ray Fisher even, like, came at the studio, mm-hmm. he tweeted that same video out, and he said, I strongly take everything back, I said. He's like, I, I retract <laughs> this. I, re- I take everything back. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, right now, I don't know specifically the details, like, he didn't say specifically there was like racism at play or stuff like that, but he just said it was gross and abusive and unprofessional behavior. And I feel like we hear about a lot of times directors feeling like they're like the right hand of God or whatever yeah. when it comes to being able to do whatever they want or treat people however they want, cast crew wise, when it comes to fulfilling their visions. And I think people need to straight up just start holding these directors, these producers, and you know, many of these notable uh, positions in the crew or cast accountable. And if you have a, a thorough amount of people, your main, the people who are behind your blockbuster films saying it, like Jason Momoa, Ray Fisher, who knows what, you know, maybe Ben Affleck or uh, the guy who plays Superman and Wonder Woman would have said, have, are going to say or have said. But if you have just two out of the uh, main characters out of your Justice League saying that there was an issue, Clearly, there's something that needs to be done. One person alone should have probed like deeply our deepest apologies. We're gonna and, and do an investigation and make sure we can try to alleviate this issue and figure out how we can move forward together. That establishes in their mind, okay, I'm a part of a studio that actually values me as a person and as an integral part into the success of the studio. I think the issue uh, for the studio is like if once you admit that Josh Sweden. Like did something wrong, that's gonna create a wave of backlash because he's like he's one of the biggest guys. Did he direct Avengers, right? Yeah, he directed Avengers, so, so that's really one of the big. main reasons they pulled him. Yeah, so he's really big over in that universe, and then he came over to just as you're saying because like all right, they see that their films are doing pretty bad. So let's look at the guy that did the uh, the rival stuff. It's so like bro, for DC Comics, this is like their their uh, way to try to compete with Marvel. So it's like, they, they, they got their Kobe Bryant, their LeBron, they traded for him, and then, like, the controversy comes out. So they're trying to, like, not allow this to derail their hopes and plans of, like, competing, right? Mm-hmm. So that's tough. And then also, too, it's one of these things where, like, I wonder if – I wonder what Zack Snyder's thoughts are about this. Because if you remember, Justice League was supposed to be by Zack Snyder, the guy from 
Superman. You know, he's the guy. The he big had guy a death in the family, so he had to step away from the project. So, you know, his cut's coming out in 2021 of the film. Uh, that'll be interesting. But I wonder what his thoughts are on this subject, too, or if he's going to be quiet as well. Mm. Uh, it's like, I don't know. Are they of... close, him and Zack Snyder and uh, Whedon? Are they close? I don't think they're particularly close. Mm. Uh, I know Zack Snyder is really close with, like, Christopher Nolan. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, I don't know, bro. I don't know. I feel it's not good, man. It's not, it's not looking good. Not at all. Not at Especially all. Especially when Jason Momoa comes out, you know, he's the big the big actor too. Like he's and he stands with Ray Fisher, so obviously there's something. Everybody loves Jason Momoa. There has not been one situation where people can say Jason Momoa is good enough publicly. Publicly, that is. Yeah. So yeah, it's just yeah, kinda yeah. like you got a person who's already like a hard thumb in people's eyes and he seems like a really cool guy. Bro, is like, Jason Momoa the same guy that was in uh Johnson's Fame Vacation? Is that yeah. him? Yeah. <laughs> bro, that's so crazy. The guy on the side bro. of the road, he, 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 who needed a ride. Yeah, that's him. No, no, I'm talking about the dude that was in the uh, Indian shop. Yeah, that was him. And he was like hitting on Cedric's Salange. Okay. Salange, yeah, yeah. that was him. Yeah, that was him. that's so crazy, bro. He was like skinny back then, kind of. Not really. But he wasn't like kinda super. small. <laughs> he wasn't yeah. Jack. Anyways, that's distracting. See, I'm, I'm doing step four in the handbook. Get a podcaster to distract from the subject. Yeah, whatever. But moving <laughs> along, we are now going to talk about the most anticipated film right now by Christopher Nolan, and that is Tenet. So Tenet has grossed, at the time of September 6th, it had grossed $20.2 million in ticket sales over the Labor Day weekend, and then it grossed $150 million globally in the spy, for the spy thriller. So, yeah, we talked about how this film was in a struggle, whether or not they wanted to release it or whether or not they were going to be able to release it because first off, Christopher Nolan was adamant about like, I'm not releasing this <laughs> on a streaming platform. Because he I'm hates not those. releasing this <laughs> on demand at home. This is being screened in theaters. So if I got to keep pushing this mug back, I'm pushing it back, which kind of makes sense because he invested a lot of money to even do the film anyways. But it's been a box. It's been a success. I think at this point right now, it's over 200 million globally. Um, yeah. And it's, and it's uh, beyond, it's definitely beyond the 20.2 million domestically. So. Yeah, so like just to add more context to that, uh, I saw somewhere where they were saying that let's see, in terms of like how many theaters are actually open. So I don't think in New York, LA, or like Detroit, I thought maybe mm-hmm. the, the theaters weren't really open yet, like on a wide scale. So it's mm-hmm. doing that despite that. Um, also, I know like overseas, like in the UK, opened up like a couple of days later, mm-hmm. and South Korea had a big release, but that was a couple of days later. There's a lot of hurdles that is happening to uh, overcome, for sure. So. Definitely some hurdles, but definitely some success, like <laughs> triumph over trials, for sure, for this film. I think it was um, a 50% cap on attendance at theaters, like mm-hmm. what they're allowed to do, and only 65% of theaters have opened in the, in the U.S., so, mm-hmm. yeah. For that to be a small margin, like, that's considered a small margin, and to him to have this much success, like, but it shows that it only works for movies that are like the most anticipated, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I mean, it still does suck though. It's supposed to make between thirty-five and fifty-five. But yeah, no, you're right. The opening like, weekend, yeah. Yeah, but, but you're right though. The movies that are most anticipated. Like they can definitely push through. And it's Christopher Nolan. Yeah. Doing the grace of all time. Top yeah. three. I so it's care. like a it's a director. <laughs> it's a director in a film that's like the most anticipated. And then the, I think the controversy of about it not being 
you know, release on platforms made it even more enticing. Like, oh, maybe I really didn't see this because he's adamant about not like releasing it on platforms. Well, so. he has like a, uh, I'm sure he has like in his uh, layer uh, under his house, in his man cave or whatever. He probably has like so a, a dartboard with like Netflix, Hulu, and all that. He's sitting there just throwing knives at the wall. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> no, no also, too, also, I got a question. I got a question. <laughs> what do you think John David Washington thinks about this? This uh, next Denzel stuff about Caleb. He's probably sitting there like, yo, what? <laughs> you think he has beef with Caleb? I'm sure he does. No, no not, not <laughs> a chance. He's <laughs> beef with a kid, bro. If I see him on the streets, it's done for him. He's not going to be having <laughs> beef with a kid. But I think also John David Washington always wanted to step outside of, outside of his father's shadows. He's said that multiple times in interviews. So like, he's like, hey, yeah, son, yeah, I don't he's like you're the it. son of uh, Denzel Washington. And he's like, and also da 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 Washington, like his mother. So he's just kind of like, like he understands that he automatically gets an advantage with his father being in the picture and who being his, his father being who he is. But he's noted multiple times that he would rather step outside of his father's shadow and kind of like allow people to formulate their opinions of whether or not he is a, a success of an actor or not. Yeah, I mean, so, they all say that, but at the, end, at the end of the coin, at the end of the How coin, you gonna know? At the end you know what I'm saying? On the other end of the coin, though, you being Denzel's son does allow you to get like the breaks way easier. So it's like I just said that. Just said that. As I said, he does know that the associate with his father and all, and, you know, there's no denying. Like, oh, uh, we got somebody auditioning right here. Who is it? John David Washington. Uh, it's Denzel's son. Okay, we know that. We know that. So, but I think if he really, really was about it, like if he really was getting them out of breaks, he would be in every freaking film out here right now, and that's not the case. So I will say this: I've been critical of him in the past, but I don't really know if I was really critical of like him per se or just the Black Clans in the movie. I just didn't like that movie, bro. All right, I'm be honest with you. Like, shout out to the writer; he's from Kansas. He's actually a really good dude. And it was directed by Spike Lee, right? Spike Lee, also a legend. Two two legendary performers of their craft. But I'm looking forward to seeing Tenet, because that's my favorite director, Christopher Nolan. And I'm, I'm looking forward to becoming a lifelong David John, whatever you say. The Washington Kid son, or Washington Kid fan. I cannot speak, bro. <laughs> They're like, he's lying. You can't even get it out. Cap. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, though. Shout out to him. Hopefully it's really good. I want to be a fan. Shout out to Robert Patterson too. All those guys. Movie of the year. All that. You haven't <laughs> even seen it yet to say it's movie of the year, right? Movie of the year. All that. All right. Okay. Well, moving along, uh, we got some other interesting news, and that is a Candyman delayed. So, Jordan Peele's uh, new redemption of the old slasher horror film Candyman has been delayed till 2021. Nia DaCosta, who is the official director for the project, sent out a tweet earlier um, this past week in relation to uh, releasing the film later on because, you know, wanting it to be this film where people could come together, where our communities could come together and kind of bask in what, you know, the original Candyman had done. So that is why she's being very specific and not releasing the film on online or on-demand platforms because she feels like it will create only a smaller amount of community members being able to participate, which is very true. Um, her delete, her tweet has been deleted, though, unfortunately. So I don't know why, why that's deleted. I don't know why that's deleted. But uh, yes, it's been delayed till 2021, and it is um, it's expected. It was expected to hit theaters of October 16th of this year, but we might not get it. Hey, I definitely agree with her and definitely support because one, it's like a 
it's like a horror film, right? And so, mm-hmm. like, you see that in theater, like, the effect of it's going to be way greater mm-hmm. than when you see that at home. And it's just, like, a big, a big step for her. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. this is a, a huge stepping stone in her career as a young mm-hmm. director. So, like, I, I'm sure she wants it to have the maximum impact. Yeah, I mean, you can even look at some of the films that have came out on demand versus, you know, in theater. So Mulan, that was a really anticipated film. Like a lot of people were excited to see that. It didn't do that well being released on on Disney+. And then you got Tracy Ellis Ross' debut project where like her first starring starring role in a feature film was Mm -hmm. The High Note. That didn't do well either. So, (laughs) bro, like it didn't do well. So that kind of makes sense as to why she want to do that, like, as much as I would love to see the film, I also am not trying to spend $30 or $40 to see the film once or maybe for like three days. I'd rather spend $15 or $16 to see it in theaters the opening weekend or the Ooh. following week. Once you pay for it, you don't get to have it? I don't think so, no. It's, you can't, it's not you buying it, no. No. You're like renting it for like only a few days, I think. That sucks. <laughs> but speaking of delays, we got another delay, and that is Wonder Woman 1984 is delayed release to Christmas. So that's not too bad. It's not 2021 like other projects, but Christmas is a little bit further than what we were expecting for this film. It was initially supposed to be released on October 2nd, but now they're talking about re- releasing it de- December 25th at the U.S. box office. To be honest, it might get delayed again because this coronavirus is not letting up because folks out here protesting wearing masks. So... Yeah. yeah, I think it's interesting too because uh, isn't it the same company? Uh, yes, yeah, we're all Warner Bros. Mm-hmm. Right, and so that's uh, their other film, Doom, mm-hmm. uh, is coming out December eighteenth. But they're saying that it's not going to to interact or interfere with that because it's the twenty fifth of December. So they're really trying to like, all right, we're pushing this back, but let's not step on our toes in terms of what release. You know, what I'm saying people are going to see. It has a lot to do with the fact that people probably aren't going to be coming to the theater every single weekend. Like, they're going to pick one week and try it out, you know? They're not going to be like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to the movies today, tomorrow, whatever, like some moviegoers might do. So they're really trying to, like, do, like, a whole business thing of, like, all right, how are we going to push this back and not step on the toes here? Uh, I also think it's interesting, too, because that means for theater owners, there's about mm-hmm. to be rough times ahead, bro. There's not a major release in the window from October all the way to, like, November 15th or November 20th to like get people to come out to the theaters. People are not coming to the theaters to see B-list movies. They're not gonna risk it. They're only coming out to see like the cream of the crop. And the only one coming out anytime soon that's not already out is a a good time to die on like the 15th of November. And they're saying that they're dead set on doing it. So I mean, that's good for them. But yeah, it's about to be rough, bro. At the AMCs, especially the smaller ones, like the independent theaters. It's about to be mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, is what it is. I mean, it's understandable. We'd rather create a safe environment where everybody gets to enjoy the film versus a smaller number of amount of people who have the economic privilege to be able to buy it for them to see. So Would you rather I'm go all, see a big I'd rather see it in a theater e- anyways. I'd rather see it in a theater anyways. But I don't know, since you were scared of like festering <laughs> That's so, so crazy. Still haven't seen a movie yet in the I'm theater, saying, so. I'm saying, but would you be more concerned seeing, like, a big movie like uh, Tenet, where you know there's going to be a lot of people in there, even though it's 50%, it's still going to be Heck like. Heck yeah! Heck you yeah! You see, like, a smaller movie where it's just going to be, like, three people in there? Heck yeah! I feel like they're just as bad, but that one with the 50, 50 or more people in there is definitely going to be a lot. <laughs> COVID just swimming in that month. Bro, dang. Just every 30 seconds, lights off. Every 30 seconds. <laughs> 
You might get the but, coffin uh, behind you. Bro, no, I could not. <laughs> no, I could not. But moving along, we got Netflix orders an animated series, and that is Good Times. So Good Times has is be, is about to be hitting the Netflix streaming platform now as an animated series, and they actually got somebody who's behind the, per- the project who's a personal color, too. Isn't that great? But the series from Norman Lear, Steph Curry, and Steph, Seth McFarlane. Um, it's going to be a 10-episode straight-to-series order for this animated series. Um, yeah, I mean, if you haven't seen Good Times, I mean, where have you been? If you, if you don't know what Good Times is, where have you been? But Good Times is like an old, older show that was in the 70s about this one Black family that lived in, like, the ghettos of the ghettos of their city and them just trying to make it, you know, survive every day. But even through the moments of survival, them basking in like joy and stuff like that. So that's good times. Yeah, yeah. I know it's a uh, person behind the camera or that's working on it, it's personal color. You're talking about Steph Curry? Who are you talking about? No, that's not what I was talking about. Uh, I mean, well, Steph you know, Curry is a person of color. <laughs> I mean, Steph Curry, uh, Seth MacFarlane, and Norman Lear's companies are all three like the major pushers behind it. Mm-hmm. I know that, but uh, okay. Now it'll be interesting, man. I'm, I'm, I'm very curious. Sony see. Pictures, uh, Sony Pictures TV is also behind the project specifically, and Sony Pictures does a really good job at like getting the mm. projects too. So I'm hoping, like, we've seen animated series. I mean, but those were years ago. So the new edition of animated series is kind of because it makes me a little nervous. But like, we've seen animated series of classic shows or movies, black shows or movies. So like, like what? Fat Albert, that became an animated series. You don't remember that? It came, they re-released Fat Albert as a show? That's what I'm saying. The older, older animations. Oh, okay, the newer okay. ones make me a little bit nervous, but, you know, we can only hope for the best. Keep the expectations here, but hope for the best, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know, man. It might, it might not be for me, man. I, I can already see the writing. I <laughs> personally don't see myself necessarily watching it because... To be honest, Good Times was, I mean, I'm too young for Good Times, to be honest. But Good Times was one of those shows where, like, I definitely was only watching, you know, in the middle of things. So, um, but, I mean. Shout out to my I'm, boy, I'm, JJ. It's going to be, it's gonna be <laughs> interesting to see who they actually pick to star in it. So, that's what I want to know. No, that'd be very interesting. Very interesting. Right. Moving um, along, we got Netflix, buy, uh, Netflix buys Zendaya's and John David Washington project, Malcolm and Marie, for $30 million. So if you remember in the past episodes of The Real Film Pod, we talked about Malcolm and Marie was a project that Zendaya kind of like financially supported in regards to doing drug quarantine. So they, it was about like two or three weeks, they filmed this project in the middle of the coronavirus with limited cast and crew and the director from Euphoria. Well, Netflix has bought it for $30 million. I think it was a, it was huge, it was huge. Um, this actually followed their Netflix deal with Halle Berry's Bruise for $20 million. So this is going to be very like interesting. A, there was like a bidding war for it, too. I guess it was mm-hmm. like one of the hottest uh, things that people were trying to like get. So shout out to yeah. them. Shout out to them. And I guess it had a tip, a tip run. So like, you know, I, I remember Sundance used to be that place where people would be like bidding wars over films. I guess uh, this, the TIFF is the tip going, wars is going crazy. pretty good. Going you know, crazy. Going Gina King's project, Holly Bay's project, Zendaya's project. You know, Concrete Cowboy was also had this little TIFF one too. Like it's some really good, you know, content featuring or produced by people of color. So I yeah, think I'm also excited. to transition to our next thing, I think Venice has also been like really big right now too because all these same ones have been shown there too i think so 
I feel like it's kind of cool seeing some other so other festivals get their shine. You know. Yeah. Tell us about Pieces of a Woman that so, was also picked up by Netflix. Yeah, so Pieces of a Woman is my computer's running so slow because I'm trying to run the spot. You, you, you want me to get an overview? <laughs> it's a, a heartening drama about a couple struggling after a failed home birth. Uh, yeah, I guess that's what it's about. I definitely shouldn't have read that one. But it's the debut of Hungarian filmmaker Cornel Mundrusko, uh, directed from a script by Kate Weber. Uh, so a little other notes about this. Uh, Vanessa Kirby, who's like the lead actress, won uh, Best Lead at the Venice Film Festival. Um, and it also won some other awards, too. So it's a very... Very anticipated film for some. Also want to shout out the fact that my guy, Shia LaBeouf, is back in a serious role. I don't know what possessed him to do that. Uh, that one where he was like uh, the gang gang member for... Bro. Yeah. Bro. Did he even like get a release? Did he really get released or anything? I don't know. I refuse, <laughs> I refuse to, to indulge him on that, to support that. Like, bro. I think personally, Shia Luff is one of the best actors out when he's like really committed to something. Mm-hmm. But his personal life and some of the roles he picks are just like a complete distraction from his actual acting ability. Because like his personal life, bro, is crazy. Like all this stuff that he gets into. Yeah. Did you ever see Honey Boy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a long time. For like since it was sad. Like he kind of was a little sad. Like he definitely was like the bread, the bread person, the breadwinner for the family. So the pressure to be placed on him at a very young age, you can see why he struggled a lot as an adult. So yeah, yeah. Actually, no, I haven't seen. I've seen the trailers where my brother talks about it a lot. It was good. Yeah, it was very good. You kind of understand, and then just kind of like his his father had like alcohol abuse, and he was in environments where people were exposing him to yeah. drugs and sex and all that. So they talk about the fact that his father brought a strain of weed to California. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess he's really big for that too random note <laughs> but uh also in uh in um pieces of a woman there's a 30 minute birth sequence that was like a one take or something like that they filmed in a one take mm-hmm. that's pretty insane so i'm interested to see what that's all about but yeah but moving along doom patrol has been renewed for season three now on hbo max instead of the dc universe platform so we see that a lot with a lot of different shows that were on mainly network televisions like CBS, NBC with projects and they move to a streaming platform. But this is moving to one streaming platform to another streaming platform. Um, Doom Patrol is a part of the DC universe. If you don't know what that is, that also features your boy Cyborg, but it's not played by Ray Fisher, just so you know. Um, Titans was also renewed for season three too. And do you, you know, there's a possibility, there's a strong possibility with them moving Doom Patrol to HBO Max that it could be moved to HBO Max as well. Um, honestly, it might do better on HBO Max. Like, I feel like some of these characters are getting neglected in, you know, this universe on this platform. Specifically, Starfire's character. I feel like Starfire's character and Raven's character are get a little, a little bit neglected in the sense of like they could be so much more badass. They could be so much ba- more badass in regards to like costume design, and okay. I'm not getting that. Oh. Raven's character is a child. Yeah, but by <laughs> this, by, but at this time, Raven was badass. So based on like the, the like character art, yes, she was badass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
No, I definitely want to talk to you about the whole like the DC cinematic uh was it platform. It's like hiding so much stuff. So how many people do you think actually that are fans of like these type of characters, how many people are actually like have a subscription to the DC? I yeah. just got it and I'm on the free trial and I'm uh, I definitely will be getting off as soon as I've done watching all my content before my free trials. So yeah, bro. So it just like they don't have a wide variety of stuff on there. It'd be different if they had all their DC films that was on there. They had their shows, all of their network shows was on there, and then they had their original content on there. It's really mainly just the original content, and then they have like the comic books on there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, and even then, like the re- original content is like it's not that great. It's all the animated stuff. And, like, for some people, they enjoy watching the animated stuff, but not everybody enjoys watching the animated stuff. So, like, the animated you. Green Lantern shows, like... No. I'll say this. If you do like animated, like, superhero shows, they definitely have the best ones. It they definitely worse. have the best ones. <laughs> it definitely gets worse. You go with, like, the Marvel animated shows? Yeah. Yeah. So, no, nah, I feel you, bro. I feel you. I definitely look forward to watching Doom Control because it looks really good. The ratings are, like, really high. So... This move might be the best thing for it. And also, my Titans might be moving over with it, too. They don't know yet. So, mm-hmm. we'll see. Yeah. Um, yeah, but moving along to another superhero who's getting a little bit of attention. That is uh, the Silk live-action Marvel series. So, uh, that's going to be developed by Sony Pictures TV. I think that's going to be very interesting. I mean, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to it. We're getting a representation of a female playing this spider woman ish character um but silk could uh variety knows that silk could be soon be the next marvel character to get her own tv series um it's noted that sony yeah well she played she's a korean american character who uh and it fall it's gonna be following like the good trouble and the atypical for the netflix series in regards to like style of how the show will be but it's not expected to, it's not a solidified date coming of whether or not, uh, of how soon it'll be coming. It's just talks, it's, they're doing talks of making it a live series. And Sony is kind of like, kind of dead set on wanting to do it too. And I think it's also one of those things that's been like, they had so much success with Spider-Man into the Spideyverse. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like, and then because, number one, because it's an animated series, but also it's just like a great representation of a diverse kind of like storyline with characters. So about Morales. So I think I, uh, the universe is specifically Marvel is trying to lean more towards doing content such as that. Yeah, yeah, I look forward. Hopefully they do it. I look forward to it if they do do it. So fingers crossed, all that. <laughs> yeah. But uh moving along, we got our keep it real category, and the Emmys are coming up this Sunday to 2020. And there's a couple categories that we should make note of. A couple projects that definitely should be getting some recognition if you haven't seen them, you need to watch it. I watched a couple episodes of Succession last night, and I could see why that show is like highly anticipated but no yeah. So like, yeah i guess we can do this i feel like in a real quick and uh tightly wrapped way what are some yeah. shows you already mentioned succession that you see a lot mm-hmm. or, or in a lot of categories so like we could start with succession so like you said you watched the first couple episodes and you're yeah really, you're really I, liking enjoyed, it. I didn't enjoy it so like we got for the first category, Outstanding Drama Series, uh, who's in it. The nominees are Better Call Saul, The Crown, Handmaid's Tale, Killing Eve, The Maladorian, Ozark, Stranger Things, and Succession. 
there's believe that succession should and will win. So there's that. I kind of, I understand why. And then for number two, we got Outstanding Comedy Series. You got Curb Your Enthusiasm, Dead to Me, Netflix, The Good Place, also Netflix now, Insecure, The Kaminsky Method, The Marvelous Miss Maisel, Amazon, Schitt's Creek, What We Do in the Shadows, and who is expected to win and who people think should win is Schitt's Creek. Have you ever seen Schitt's Creek? I haven't. I've seen uh, like clippings of it. It's more, it's definitely a slapstick comedy type thing, but yeah. Uh, for Outstanding Limited Series, who's in the category, we got Little Fires Everywhere, Miss America, Unbelievable, Unorthodox, and Watchmen. Bro, it's got, it's pretty much Hulu versus Hulu <laughs> versus HBO and uh, Netflix. But Isn't, actually, isn't Watchmen Amazon? No, Watchmen is HBO. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Watchmen is HBO, but ultimately, I can say I can ultimately say that this category it, it is a little bit it's a little tough for me because I truly believe that <sighs> what <laughs> I just feel like I really enjoyed on the unorthodox and unbelievable and then Watchmen was really good, but I know because of like all the people who are who are in Watchmen and a little the diversity thing that it it's it says it's gonna win and it should win. So yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. I've not watched a lot of those. I need to watch Watchmen, like because I've been talking about that for a while. But mm-hmm. to move on though, the documentary, a lot of stuff that I don't care about. But shout out to <laughs> the Last Dance because it's gonna win. It's Michael mm-hmm. Jordan. It better win. Uh, mm-hmm. If it doesn't win, I hope Tiger King wins just because mm-hmm. it would amuse me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, we can keep pushing though. And uh, another next category, we have an outstanding lead actress in the drama. You got Jennifer Aniston for The Morning Show, Olivia Coleman for The Crown, Jody Comer for Killing Eve, Laura Lenny for Ozark, Sandra Oh for Killing Eve, and Zendaya for Euphoria. Shout out to Killing Eve. We reviewed that a couple episodes ago, a lot of episodes ago, bro. I hope one of them win. I really am pushing for Jodie Comer, but I would not be mad if Sandra O won. Uh, also, Ozark's on this a lot for a lot of different categories. They better pick up some awards. Because that last season of Ozark, yo, insane. I know you liked it. Everybody liked it. You know? mm-hmm. uh, yeah. For sure. I don't want to go through all these categories, but I'll shout out the Outstanding Lead Actor in the Drama. Definitely do that one. And then I guess the last one we should do is Outstanding Lead in a Comedy, because that <laughs> uh, so outstanding lead actor in drama Jason Bateman for Ozark Sterling K. Brown for This Is Us Steve Carell for The Morning Show The Morning Show picking up some uh, nominations here I need to check that out Brian Cox for Succession of course Billy Porter for Pose Jeremy Strong for Succession Yo Succession yeah it's going to win a lot because this show is definitely pretty uh, entertaining um, I know you have some thoughts about uh, Sterling K. Brown and <laughs> Billy Porter do you want to I just feel like they're always being used as the exceptional black folks to be nominated in every category or in the drama category. There's a plenty of other black actors who are definitely deserving, maybe even sometimes more deserving than Sterling K. Brown's or B- Billy Porter's character. And it's just not fair. I think Billy Porter is just kind of like the guy. Uh, all right. This is going to be kind of controversial, but I do feel like parts of what, what you say. No, no, no. I do feel like, Part of white America has like last one to Billy Porter is like the guy like I'm friends with him. You know like, that whole saying how like I'm not racist. I have a black friend. You know, 
sometimes Billy Porter fits that role. I'm not criticizing him or whatever. I'm just criticizing, like, the media as a whole, entertainment industry, how they will sometimes pick one black person who they feel is safe, and they want to use him to say, like, I'm not this, I'm not that. So it's, I don't know. I feel like at times he kind of gets lumped into that role, unfortunately. Uh, also, too, bro, side note, Jason Bateman should win this category because his character in Ozark is complex, it's layered, it's, it's incredible. So I'm hoping he wins. <laughs> Anyways. Um, only, there's only two more categories that I actually want us to talk on. Um, and that is specifically uh, outstanding lead actor in the comedy. So the nominees are Anthony Anderson, Blacklish, Don Cheeto, Black Monday, Ted Danson, The Good Place, Michael Douglas, Kaminsky, The Kaminsky Method, Eugene Levy for Schitt's Creek, Rami Youssef for Rami. Who they said will win is Ted Danson. Who they say should win is Rami Youssef. I'm all in favor of Rami Youssef. To be honest, I'm so disappointed <laughs> that Mahershala Ali wasn't nominated for supporting actor in a comedy series, to be honest. But that's so you're a right there. Bro, so, huge fan of Rami. It was really good. He actually pissed me off this season, but that's the hero there. But definitely should <laughs> should win and I hope win. And Does Anthony Anderson have any wins for uh, Blackish? I feel like he has to because that's a big show. I don't think so. I don't think so. And I don't think Tracy Ellis Ross does either. Um, Man, shout out to Don Cheadle, Casey, Stand Up, Black Monday. Yeah. <laughs> for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Limited Series or Movie, the nominees are Kate Blanchett and Miss America, Shira Haas for Unorthodox, she did a great job, uh, Regina <laughs> King and Watchmen did a great job, Octavia Spencer and Self Made. That was okay. Like she did it. She oh! acted well. She acted well. She acted well. But it's just like the project itself. Like a lot of the inaccuracies was just so so heavy. I'll then Carrie Washington. Slander. Wow. Then Carrie Washington and Little Fires everywhere. Wow. We got three. We got three black women nominated in this category. So very interesting. Some heavy hitters, dude. Those aren't no small names. Yeah. And I guess the very last one we should note is Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Limited Series of Movie. Nominees are Dylan McDermott for Hollywood, Jim Parsons in Hollywood, Titus Burgess for Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, the Reverend Yah, uh, or Kimmy Schmidt versus the Reverend Yaha Abdul-Mateen II in Watchmen, Jehovan Adipo in Watchmen, and Louis Gossett Jr. in Watchmen. Who will win, they say, is Jim Parsons. Who should win is Yaha Abdul-Mateen II. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, yep. I definitely need to go back and watch some of these shows. Like anytime a war season comes around, I always use that as like a list of like, all right, now I know I need what I need to watch. So I look forward to like going back and binging some of these over mm-hmm. the coming weeks. But yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, but yeah, moving along, that that is it for our keep it real. So those are the Emmy nominations. Make sure you are tuned in for that. But what we have left is our, our are you still watching category, and that is a movie that I recently watched and enjoyed that I'm trying to convince Shaka to watch, and that is What Keeps You Alive on Netflix. So if you don't know what that movie is, this is specifically the verbage for the project, and it is Jackie takes her wife Jules to a remote cabin to celebrate their first anniversary. Uh, anniversary. Jules becomes suspicious when Jackie's childhood friend Sarah visits and addresses Jackie as Megan. Jackie explains that she changed her name by choice, but Jules isn't satisfied with the visit and Sarah and her husband uh, from Sarah and Daniel. Things go a little crazy, and ultimately, Jackie just gets a little crazy. Jackie trying to kill Jules. So, yeah, this movie is crazy. It's only a 98-minute long English film um, directed by Colin Manhattan, um, produced by Curtis David Harder, Chris uh, Bell, and Ben Knetchel. Written by Colin Mahanel. It's definitely worth it. It came out in 2018, um, March 2018. It's worth it. Honestly, I, I really enjoyed how, like, 
back and forth it is with the character Jackie. She's so cold and sterile, and she's definition of a sociopath. And then you also get like a build up frustration with Jules with being like, it needs to click in your mind, and she's psychotic. Like there's mm-hmm. no more trying to appeal to her. There's no more trying to get her to come to her senses or anything like that. Like it's, it, need, it needs to get wrap it up. Like because you're 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 putting yourself in a situation where you're about to die very soon, yeah. and you're putting other people's situations where you're about to die. But one thing that I really want to mention is that the cinematography in the show is really cool. And I, I love that it's pretty much only like three locations technically. So it's at a cliff, well, uh, on the cliff, in the cabin, on the lake, in the woods. And it's like maybe one house. So it's like five locations in total, but like they're used so often to where you, it's really, I'm, it's 100 in regards to like putting you in a limited environment, but make you feel like her escape or the world that she's trying to escape from is too big to escape from. Um, there's one continuous shot that's really dope. So when Jackie and Jules get into this whole like fight of like trying to just trying to like fight for our life, mm-hmm. they're like fighting upstairs, but like the camera is downstairs and it's like in the like facing the ceiling and it's a continuous shot. So like they're fighting from like one room to the next room to the hallway and so forth. And all we're we're not seeing them fighting. We're literally just seeing the ceiling, hearing the noises, and then we're moving to another room where they are, where we're seeing the ceiling, we're seeing the lights being clanked around, like all of that. It's really cool, like a continuous shot, which I really enjoy. When people be able to pull that off in film, it's dope. Like I had to make a notation of that. Yeah, no doubt. I need to watch it for that alone. Bro, (laughs) it's like continuous. It's like a whole like minute 30 of just a continuous shot of them fighting. You're not seeing them fight. You're just seeing the ceiling, you know, the banging on the ceiling, the chandeliers moving, the light. Like, it's, it's uh, really dope. It's really that dope. sounds crazy. Try to get you to watch it. Try to tell you. <laughs> chill, chill, chill. But that's what's in our, um, that's what our still, are you still watching category. I do want to make a notation real quick of some other films I have watched, or short films mainly. You need to check it out. I don't want to get too much into the details of them, but it's Gala, Salam, which is a Tribeca Film Fest in 2018. And the neighbor's window was an Oscar-winning short. So Gala is one of those also coming-of-age stories of a young young woman who's in a very conservative and religious household. Specifically, I believe she's Muslim American, and she's kind of wanting to kind of step into her own self and sexuality. So that's what that film short film's about. And then Salam is about a young Muslim American woman who is kind of like has a one like a night encounter with another woman, an American white woman who they're both kind of like in a lover's quarrel or or a, a lover's divide with their partner. So for Salam, her partner is still in pa- Palestine during the war, the stuff that's going on. And then the person she's driving, like she's trying to escape from an abusive relationship. So it was very interesting. And then we got The Neighbor's Window. Which is the best one of the three, easily Bro, hands down. low key. <laughs> did you watch that one? Well, I, watched, see- I watched two of the three, yeah. Bro, no, that one... Bro, amazing. 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 <laughs> I really enjoyed that one. That one was like really like it's it's a short film where it's about this older couple and they already have they're like settled down. They have kids and everything now. And you know, they have kids and they're kind of like at the the ends of the relationship where it's just like this is just norm. The norm is just us taking care of our kids, this is marriage and whatever. And so their apartment complex is facing another apartment complex where there is a younger couple. And they are kind of like showing to this older couple, like what they miss 
in their younger years of being in a relationship, the freedom um, of being deeply connected to one another and not a care in the world and having fun, living life. And it's just kind of like one of those stories, just like, dang, you know, they're in the situation where they're like, dang, I just really wish we were younger. We could be as free in our young love. And then at the end, it flips. All I'm saying is at the end, it flips. So you need to watch it. You need to watch it. It's the neighbor's window and it's on Vimeo. It's worth it. It's about roughly 20 minutes. It's stellar. I want to make something like this. Like that was... And I love that it just like ended the way it did. It didn't go too far to like her no, trying to talk to the husband. It, it no, was yes. I thought they were going to like try to over explain it. And they did. Yeah, it left I'm you so like sad. sitting there. I'm so glad. They just like just left it there. It was amazing. Basically, outside of real quick, it's one of those films though where like it'll low you into like, all right, I kind of know what's happening. I kind of have this next. And then when it switches, it's like, oh, whoa. Like, you know what I mean? It hits you. And you're just sitting there. And when it switches, it's like, it doesn't explain the switch. So you're just and stuck with the switch. And this shows these people who are on opposite ends, like not only physically on opposite ends and being in two different apartment complexes, older, younger, you know, married, you know, they're both married, of course, but married with kids, married without kids. Mm-hmm. And it just shows like, even though they don't really know each other, they kind of knew each other and just felt deeply to- connected to one another. So I think that it's definitely worth a watch. It's an Oscar winning short film. So obviously other people thought it was worth the watch. Um, but yeah, check that out on Vimeo. But lastly, today we got the in the queue category, and it's a couple of films that you need, films or TV shows that you need to make note of. So, Antebellum is set to be released on demand September 18th. That is this Friday. So, if you haven't done so already, make sure you tap that into your queue and make sure you maybe you know check it out. We gotta support I it. I heard some news. I want to support it a little bit because <laughs> Janelle Monae starring in it. KC Native, what's up? No, turn up, turn up. But, but I heard hard. some news. It's also, it's also one of those pro- projects that had controversy right before it came out too. We're just kind of like, bro, did y'all really steal from a black woman for this project? Like, it was it had a lot of con- controversy beforehand. So it's a lot. It's a lot going on, man. It's a lot. Yes, September eighteenth. We're gonna we're gonna figure out a way to watch it. We'll probably watch it and then we'll talk about it. We should watch it way. and talk about it for them. Yeah, I got a guy. He owns a camera. <laughs> Be quiet. Okay. We do, we do not condone. We don't condone that. But Antebellum to release on demand September 18th. Make sure you tap into that. Next, we got Pin 15. It's set to be released on September 18th as well. Season I'm 2. I'm um, Season 1. I've seen a couple clips of that. That show is wild. You haven't watched season 1? Nope. You didn't watch the show off. And then I was good. good. Bro, I want to do an in-depth review of season 2. So start on season one now, so in two weeks we can do season two. Yeah, I guess so. But I heard it's really good. You mentioned how much you enjoyed the show, so I feel like maybe I need to just give it. Like I, t- I took two episodes. I took time last night to watch a couple episodes of Succession, and I can see why it's like a favorite. So maybe I need to just check out a couple episodes of Pen Fifteen and see why it's a favorite for you. So no doubt, yeah. no doubt. That's it. Exactly. Hey, I'm super mad that we this whole thing. I watch. I binge watch Titans. We didn't have time to uh, talk about that, so I want we you can to talk know about it next week. No, we're going to watch. We're going to talk about it. I didn't do this for nothing. Season one review of Titans. You know, stay tuned. We're going to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing we didn't get to cover today. But we'll we'll give them a little spiel next week. Um, definitely catch up with us. We've already watched season one. We're going to try to finish season two. So we can definitely get you a little bit more in-depth about Titans, the series itself, on DC yeah. Universe streaming platform. Um, but, yeah, 
That concludes this episode of The Real Film Pod. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. The Real Film Pod, the moving picture podcast, where we give you everything that's going on in the film and TV industry. If you haven't done so already, make sure you follow us on all our socials, Instagram, Twitter at The Real Film Pod, like our Facebook at The Real Film Pod, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Rise Network, where we're going to give you more content ranging from podcasts, TV shows, short films, ads, all of that. Tap in with us because we enjoy it. And if you have any suggestions for our podcast, make sure you leave it in the comment section. Shoot us a DM. Leave a banner in the sky if you have to. We thank you for joining us today. My name is Anasi Tajay. It's Shakta Bimbo. As always, Shop Beating <laughs> on Twitter. Hey, shout out to your boy. Follow Anasi at Anasi Tajay. She had a full breakdown of the Cardi B offset breakup. So if you're interested in that, uh, she has you covered. Uh, I yeah. have a full breakdown of the Cardi B and offset. What? What are you talking about? <laughs> She's super messy online. I know y'all love that. So, yeah. Turn up. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, you guys, so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Peace.